very often we are in small classes so students tend to know us a little bit better and already count on us when something is wrong and i think like for me one way to try to address it without being too pushy with the students is to give them the space to talk about it a little bit in the class i kind of assumed they would know better than i am this kind of misfortune has forced me to uh, learn something that i wouldn't have learned before you're listening to speaking of language a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Three Cornell language teachers share their experiences, both negative and positive, with the transition to remote instruction during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Our special focus on language teaching and learning strategies in a virtual space has provided many suggestions from experts in the field as we all transition to remote language instruction. Now that we have been in this new environment for a few weeks, we will turn to our colleagues on the ground to hear how things have been going. Today, we are joined by Claire Menard, Naomi Larson, and Munther Yunus, lecturers of French, Japanese, and Arabic at Cornell University. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Claire, Naomi, and Munther. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your busy schedules, teaching, grading, maintaining sanity, helping your students. But we are really interested in hearing from you how these weeks in remote instruction have been going. Before we start talking about this, can each of you take a moment real quick to introduce yourselves and share with our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, my name is Munder Yunus. I have been at Cornell probably longer than any of you. <laughs> I have been here for 30 years. Wow. In 90, yeah. And I direct the Arabic program. Um, we started very small with like 20 students or so. Now we have an average of 100 to 130 students um, taking different levels of Arabic um, in, in, in any given semester. That's wonderful. Great. Claire, how about you? So I've been at Cornell for four years, and uh, I'm um, so my name is Claire Menard, and I teach uh, all level of the French language, and I also teach a bit of uh, French cinema, and I'm also uh, um, one of the organizer of the French Film Festival every uh, fall. So it's another thing uh, if you want to go at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Naomi, tell us more about you. My name is Naomi Larson, and uh, I've been here teaching at the Cornell, not as long as 30 years, but then almost 27 years, something like that. And uh, I teach Japanese language, and uh, I tried to study French, and uh, I failed miserably. <laughs> I tried to study a little bit of Korean by myself, which I did fail, and I studied the uh, um, Chinese one week with the radio in Japan. So I am interested in language. <laughs> the real question is, have you tried Arabic yet? Not yet, but I, I, I met great teachers, so I would uh -huh, think about yeah. it. Because I was about to say, I know of a really great language program at a really great university. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I was wondering if you guys can talk a little bit more about your general language classroom. So before this whole craziness hit, um, what sets your language classes apart? How do you teach languages? How do you engage your students? Munther, do you want to start? Okay. Yeah. Um, at Cornell, actually, we teach Arabic differently from any other institution uh, probably in the world. Uh, we um, introduce Arabic in what's known as the integrated approach to Arabic instruction. Mm -hmm. We uh, integrate spoken Arabic with uh, written Arabic or formal Arabic or what's known as um, modern standard Arabic. Uh, whereas um, the majority of other programs teach only modern standard Arabic, which is the written language. Um, and we've, and the, um, our approach actually now is being recognized as uh, uh, probably there's more, more than one way of, of uh, getting the same results, but it's, mm -hmm. the, it's an effective way to prepare students to deal with the realities of the Arabic language mm -hmm. situation. Um, and uh, students are uh, happy with uh, the results they're getting in the Arabic program and the teachers are happy with the way um, the the um, process is working. That's great. Claire, what about French? Can you talk a little bit more about the French program? So we teach uh, using the communicative approach. Well, as you know, the communicative approach name has been used for so many different things. Uh, so I would say that for us, it means that we really try to integrate as much as possible real life into the classroom. So we really prepare students to be able to go abroad in France and to study in French. So the goal is to both study like very formal French, but also like uh, more um, colloquial French. Uh, but we also put a lot of accents on the writing as well, uh, mm -hmm. because when students go abroad, they need to be able to write in a good way and also to sure. write the French way, which is not mm -hmm. exactly the same way that you would write in English sometimes. Uh, so that's what we do. Wonderful. Naomi, a little bit more about the Japanese program at Cornell? All right. So Japanese is like Arabic. Um, for the native speaker of English, it's totally foreign language, one of the totally foreign languages for the uh, native speaker of English. So uh, Japanese 101, uh, it has a six credits. We meet seven days a week, and uh, it's pretty intense program. And we really focus on the speaking so that the students will be able to go to Japan and get a job and have fun marrying Japanese people and, and all that stuff. So uh, our focus is uh, uh, students will be able to function in Japan. Wonderful. So now we'd like to talk about your experiences with the shift to remote instruction, starting with how teaching online is different or, or similar to your face-to-face -face teaching and your students learning. Yeah, uh, for me, um, I was, I mean, to tell you the truth, um, I don't know whether it's related to my age or uh, some, uh, some other factor. I was quite apprehensive at this switch. And um, I was, uh, previously, I was resistant to um, moving or switching from Blackboard to Canvas uh, with yeah. the, most of the Cornell folks. Yeah. And... Uh, so this switch to Zoom also, I, um, I have been, I had been always a uh, Skype user. Uh, mm -hmm. So Zoom was a new thing for me. So all this technology was very intimidating and uh, we weren't given a lot of time to, I wasn't given, um, I, I, I don't think, I mean, from my point of view, the yeah. time was insufficient for me to get yes. ready yep. to make the transition. 
And also the fact that we were also um, not allowed to even meet people to mm-hmm. discuss so everything. The, the, the problems were multiplied. Yeah. Um, but I uh, surprisingly found it quite effective. Um, and, uh, and part of the reason is that first I have only two classes and the classes have, uh, uh, are relatively small. I have six students in one class and seven in the other. Um, so it wasn't uh, a big deal for me. I, there were a few um, little difficulties at the beginning, but then we got going and uh, everything is, is running smoothly now. Uh, so for me, it was a little bit different because I had taught online uh, in the past at Rutgers University when I did my PhD there. So as a graduate student, I had the experience of actually designing an entire course uh, online. Uh, that was actually a level that was quite similar to the one I'm teaching right now. Mm-hmm. So for me, like the transition was, I think, a little bit uh, smoother. And also, like I had the experience with so many uh, different kind of platforms. I used Canvas in the in the past, but I also used uh, Sakai. I used Blackboard, uh, and uh, at all different kinds of uh, level of uh, language teaching. So for me, like the technology was not an issue. Mm-hmm. What I was really uh, worried about is to keep students motivated mm-hmm. and to keep them engaged um, because that that was the problem I had uh, when I was teaching an online class in the summer at Rutgers University. Mm-hmm. I felt that sometimes it was really hard to keep all my students enrolled and to keep them like motivating, to keep them to continue doing all the homework and everything. Um, but so far, so good at Cornell. I hadn't had any issue, <laughs> but that was my fear at first. Mm-hmm. I was not familiar with Zoom at all, so I was very, very intimidated. And uh, I was uh, very, very, very stressed out Mm -hmm. about everything about it. So actually, the Language Resource Center workshop really helped me to to help me to understand one by one. So I still remember the first day of the class, I was so stressed the Mm -hmm. day before and I could not sleep. And then Mm -hmm. I was just imagining all kinds of things goes wrong. And then the first day, uh, it was, it did not go uh, as bad as I was afraid of. So that was really good. (laughs) But then um, because I never used that before and it's totally different format. I, uh, and I have a four sections. The first day uh, when I finished four sections, I was exhausted I never felt this exhausted before. So that was my first class. And then afterwards, it wasn't too bad. And I, you know, since our students are native speaker of technology, Mm. I kind of assumed they would know better than I am. But then some of the students insisted on like, this does not work. And I was told it's going to work. So some of the program, like uploading the homework, and I thought they would have no problem. But some of the students said, no, I can't do it. I said, well, you should be able to do it. No, I can't. So there was uh, some question because I, <laughs> I did not have an answer to that. So finally, yeah. ask technologically savvy students, other classmates, and mm-hmm. then what's solved. Yeah, actually, I want to pick up on two things that um, you guys mentioned here. Munther, you talked about the fact that this is not an easy transition and that we didn't have enough time. And I can't agree with you more. I mean, in order to develop effective online classes, you don't just give people a few weeks notice. And in the grand scheme of things, I think at Cornell, we were actually lucky because we had three weeks. I know colleagues who were given two hours. (laughs) Um, 
but still three weeks is not sufficient to think about the the pedagogical goals and the implications um, and we know that good online teaching is very, very time consuming. Good teaching is time consuming, right? But the the environment, the new environment is definitely, you have to rethink some of the things that you do. Um, and Naomi, I think to pick up on what you just said about, you know, we always assume that our students are digital mm -hmm. natives. Mm -hmm. um, sure, they were all born with a cell phone in their hand, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know mm -hmm. um, intuitively how to navigate this new environment. And that's really so important to make sure that we take the time and step back. And especially if we introduce a new technology tool mm -hmm. to tell them, hey, and this is how it works and let's play around with it first before we use it for any sort of assessment or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think we're definitely in, in all of this together with our students. Um, so I like that all of you commented on things that were actually positive and not overly disastrous. Were there any other things that stood out to you where you were pleasantly surprised by what's been happening in this new environment so far? I mean, I could talk about a few things kind of positive. So yeah. the, um, in a classroom, you know, the students, uh, human beings are creature of habit. So they always sit in the same place. So in the end, they always talk to the same people. But yeah. because of the breakout rooms, they have to talk to somebody who never talked before. So then it changes, um, like we change every five minutes too. So in a way, it's, uh, it's really great the students start talking to every classmate thanks mm, to the mm -hmm. breakout room. Yeah, that's nice. Were there any other surprises from Arabic or French? Well, I think for me, I was um, very pleasantly surprised at, at the way students participated through the Zoom conversations. Uh, actually, it worked pretty well. Uh, there, there's ways they can raise hands, so I can give like everybody's turn to speak. Uh, I think everybody was pretty patient, uh, so it worked pretty well. I was also like I didn't give them like a very strict, uh, a strict uh, etiquette before they started, mm -hmm. but I insisted on everybody having his camera on and to be kind of like centered in their screen, you know, so there was nobody like that you don't see or something like that, unless they had trouble with the connections. I told them that in that case the video can be off. And I think that helped a lot, like creating some kind of a class environment. I also told them to put the videos in mosaic view so you can actually see everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it helped creating a sense of community that I was really mm -hmm. afraid was not going to happen. So yeah. I was very presently surprised with that part. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's good. Um, actually, I was uh, also pleasantly surprised in the fact that for some reason, I, I, I cannot really figure out the reason, that students seem to have more time to prepare. So they were actually, hmm. I, I don't know exactly, maybe they don't have, since they don't have to go out of their rooms, uh, they're all in their bedrooms and you can say they're relaxed. and they're yeah. also, So, so they, um, you, you feel that we're covering even more material this way. Mm, yeah. And uh, there's no um, complaint that this was overwhelming or this, there were too many exercises or, uh, which was uh, a surprise to me. Good. That's great to hear. Yeah, actually, that was not my experience. A lot of my students complained that, so I think it depends uh, probably a lot on what classes they were following. Uh, they were not necessarily complaining about my class, but I know they mm. were saying that some 
of their professors are giving them too much uh, in comparison to what they used to do. Um, because I think like written materials, sometimes it can be very uh, easy to think, oh, I need to give them a little bit more written assignment yeah. so I can check more what they are doing. Um, and, and I think that's a danger uh, that, mm-hmm. some, that some students have been suffering from. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was very, it would really depend on the students. So I think it depended on which class they were taking, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we heard similar things, but um, we haven't had a single complaint from a student about a language class. So we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. doing well then. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I'd well, thanks so. to thanks to the wonderful work that the three of you and all your colleagues are doing. Thanks. <laughs> Um, so, and, and these are all great points that you've brought up. Um, so following up on that, do you have any advice you could give to any of your other colleagues on how to best manage your time and engage and support your students in this uh, in this modality? For me, the difficulty was the transitions between each activity. Um, because in class, I think it's very easy because we, we use our body language a lot. Like if yeah. you can do that a little bit in videos. It's really not the same thing than when you're in class. Uh, and for me, like I had to realize that I needed a little bit more time to change each, to change between activities uh, because I need the time to tell them, oh, now we're going to go in a breakout room or uh, to, to explain exactly like how the activity is going to take place. Um, whereas in class, like it's, it's a little bit easier. I think it, it goes smoother. And then when you change from one screen to another, like from the breakout rooms to the to the virtual classroom where everybody is, there is always like a little bit of time before the technology can adjust. Mm-hmm. And some students need their microphone to start running again. Mm-hmm. None of this, and I think that is the issue that I was running into. So I think I would say to everybody, like try to take more time between activities, but to know that you're going to take more time between activities. So maybe it's better to have a little bit less activities that are slightly longer uh, because the transitions that, that, that make you lose time, basically. Yeah. And one thing I would like to do, actually, which I feel I haven't done enough of, is to utilize Canvas, the Canvas uh, capabilities more. Yeah. So I still don't know how to conduct a test effectively. I can mm-hmm. do, for example, I, give a, I can give a test where students can um, write an essay, sure. a composition essay, but the idea of giving uh, like a full test with listening comprehension, reading comprehension, mm-hmm. and then to submit that, I still have to uh, work with those, with, with the mm-hmm. technology to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that's my plan for the next few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah one of the um, fun things I try to do is I, I've been, I'm teaching the second year Japanese. And uh, uh, since the beginning of the semester, I noticed students comes, uh, came to the class, classroom early, but then they're all looking at the phone, not speaking to each other. Yeah. So I just try to encourage them to speak in Japanese and then just have a small talk. But they, they, I just realized that it's not that they are not, not able to speak in Japanese, but they don't know how, what to do, how to do the small talk. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. They, they were born with a phone and they start talking to parents, you know, mom, I'm hungry by phone. So they really do not know how to do the small talks. So um, this semester, uh, since we become online, I actually uh, make the slides for the uh, uh, icebreaker questions i just went to the uh 
uh, well, with Japanese people do not do that many icebreakers, I guess, unless you are in a dating scene. And uh-huh. the question might be not appropriate. So I went to the um, <laughs> American one and I say the icebreaker questions. And uh, as soon as I usually come see the class five minutes before, and as soon as students come in, I send them uh, to the breakout rooms and then talk about the uh, icebreak questions, which kind of related to the uh, topics or using the vocabularies. For example, today we did that, what's your favorite movie? And uh, what do you say to to sound very, uh, you are cultured. So that what is your real favorite movie? And what do you say to the Cornelians so that you feel mm-hmm. like you are a cultured person? So those yeah. are questions that you're using a vocabulary like shoumeisuru is to, to prove. So I won't have them use a vocabulary that new, newly acquired and utilize them. And I have a question, but they get to know each other in a fun way. Mm-hmm. So first, nice. uh, um, uh, like three minutes of the class or before class starts. Yeah, those are those are some nice ideas. Are there any other pearls of wisdom that you have or any other activity types that work particularly well where you got feedback from students that something was fun or engaging or that they enjoyed something or any other topic that you would like to touch on? So I, I'd like to comment on also on the uh, uh online quiz stuff, which Mm -hmm. has been very, very challenging to me. We have a lesson quiz and also the uh, vocabulary quiz and the kanji writing quizzes. Mm -hmm. And uh, vocabulary quizzes went okay. And the lesson quiz also went okay. I made it uh, three parts, two parts online, listening comprehension section and the second grammar section. And the third one, uh, essay part was actually in class in Zoom. So mm-hmm. went okay. But then third one is a kanji writing quiz, like Chinese character, which was disaster. First of <laughs> all, like I made the, uh, the test really short. Yeah, I'm so worried about people cheating. Yeah, And then uh, we were told that just assume students are cheating. But then I really want to discourage uh, the cheating. So mm-hmm. making a class, uh, making a test hour, like really, really short, way too short. Even the best student could not finish the. Oh no! <laughs> Five minutes huh. was way too short, and they are not used to converting into Japanese. And you are supposed to put in English translation and then switch to Japanese. That was yeah. time consuming. They are not used to it. Mm-hmm. And then today in class, they are actually asking me, "Why don't you just do the kanji quiz in in class, so that you will be able to practice writing?" So. Uh, it's, it's actually sometimes a really good idea to ask the students what they think is a good idea. And also using a poll, I asked like, what is the appropriate timeline? Like five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes? And mm-hmm. voted, like how long is uh, long enough? So uh, this is uh, something I'm learning right now. Yeah, to, to echo a little bit what Naomi is saying, uh, I, uh, I also did a, a few uh, tests online. So... I did some before, but not with Cornell students. And I think it really depends on your students and how mm-hmm. fast they go. 
And uh, and for me, it was really hard to have a good idea of how much time they were going to take to do the the quizzes. So I think my my uh, my mistake was the other way around. <laughs> I think I gave them a little bit too, too much time, and mm-hmm. I think it could have been a little bit harder what I was asking them to do. Um, so I think the next one will be a slightly different, probably in the next test I'm, I'm designing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's it's a it's it's true that it's it's very hard. Uh, to know how much time like you can give them um, and to adjust the difficulty of the test uh, because it's never the same thing that when they they write in person mm-hmm. uh, so absolutely yeah. one more thing about the online if I may um, mm-hmm. also, I've been using a campus for the campus is very legit for example the translation if I put the uh, word like uh, some word like heiwa and the answer gotta be peace and that's it you, you can't say like tranquility or anything like that. Then mm. they're going to take the points off. So students yeah. get really, really freaking out because their definition <laughs> of one word could be different. Sure. And they get three out of 10. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to tell them like, I will uh, take, uh, retake, I mean, the, I will grade them manually. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So that's one of the things, uh, one negative thing about uh, using Canvas. Yeah. Well, you would have to anticipate all the possible Mm -hmm. interpretations or translations that a student can come up with. And then you also have to think about all the ways that they could misspell the word in English. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to the point that Munther made earlier, that really time is of the essence in all of this. You know, putting all of these assessments online takes a significant amount of time as well. Mm In a way, um, this kind of misfortune uh, sort of forced me to uh, learn something that I wouldn't have learned before. Mm-hmm. That, um, I, I think I would have been avoiding Canvas and uh, yeah. Zoom for quite a long time, but now sure. I'm very happy with the progress I've made over the past two weeks. Yeah. And it's something that I think will be very useful in the future. Mm-hmm. As we, you know, there, I'm sure there will be all kinds of uh, like language instruction. We have a, there's a, an organization, organization actually I'm working with now called Natakellam, uh, which uh, connects uh, Syrian refugees who would like to be teachers mm. and um, Arabic learners worldwide. And it's mm. all done like, like this kind of format. Yeah. And I've been training the teachers to do that. So Wonderful. this is, it comes in at the right time. It's mm-hmm. like connecting hundreds of learners with teachers who need this kind of work. And they can be anywhere. They can be in Italy or Lebanon. or um, So it's, I'm learning a lot from this, and I think it will be very useful for um, what I would like to be doing in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great. great. I, think, I think it gives all of us um, maybe the perspective to kind of step back and think about what have we been doing in the classroom and is it actually working or how can we make certain tweaks to ensure that, you know, if we continue to teach portions online, mm-hmm. that we deliver that information and, and somehow engage students in meaningful ways, um, how we tweak our approaches and our materials. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's good that we see some silver lining in all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to speak about something that is a little bit uh, less joyful, I want to say, uh, is that I want to speak a little bit about the students' wellness because uh, yeah. I think it, it's something that is 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 also difficult because uh, for us, but mostly also for them, is that 
uh, teaching online is not the only uh, uh, thing that we have to think about. We also have to think about, you know, how they are doing and then be mm-hmm. a bit more present. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that we usually already do as a language professor uh, because we work in communication. So we need to know our students as a person, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but also like... Um, I think very often we are in small classes, so students tend to know us a little bit better and already count on us when something is wrong. But I think like right now, uh, we all, we have to think about it even more. So uh, so the change is not only like the technology, it's also like all the emotional uh, background mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. have to deal with. And I think like for me, one way to try to address it without being too pushy with the students is to give them the space to talk about it a little bit in the class, you know, in a mm-hmm. way that's not mm-hmm. threatening, where they don't necessarily have to share very personal information if they don't want to. Um, but I think it it gives them, uh, you know, ask them how they are doing, uh, how, you know, if they are living at home right now or not. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's it's good because it gives them the opportunity to speak about it with each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. And tell me you were talking about, you know, um, about the icebreakers. Mm-hmm. It's also a moment where they can use their, their language skills, which give them a, a little bit of distance, but they can also speak a little bit about how they are feeling at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously for us, it also... Um, forces have to, to be like extra flexible with deadlines and all of these things. And, and sometimes, um, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult because we, we, we were like, Oh, I'm done with all those assignments that I graded. <laughs> but then, you know, there's all those new assignments that arrive and, and you don't want to, you don't want to be too hard on the students because, you know, mm-hmm. they're not doing very well. Um, but that's an, also another thing I think that we have to do right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really fun, like, uh, um, kind of a positive thing like uh since the students come in a different time a little bit like even the five seconds or 10 seconds so like that 10 seconds or so like I have a private conversation about their background and then uh some students use their uh, favorite anime character for their background I can ask them about that and also that I see some of the paintings or pictures behind them uh I discovered that one of the students is a real tricky because I see in uh, in his room that uh, there's a uh, many many uh, Star Trek uh, items behind him, <laughs> and then uh, some students uh, talked about the their they have a figuring the anime characters like they showed it to me, and then those are kind of a fun thing to get to know the students in. Uh, yeah. um, if they trust yeah. that would never ever happen. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, all of you. Before we sign off. We'd like each of you to share with us your favorite word in a language that you speak or have learned, are learning, want to learn. So, uh, Munter, maybe you can start. Yeah. Okay. Um, actually, um, I have two words, but if I could, if I have the, the if you can give me the time for that. Sure. There is a word. <laughs> Thank you. There is a word, uh, the Arabic word for fish is semak, which we teach in like after nine or 10 hours of Arabic instruction. And for some reason, out of so many words we introduced that day, only this word seemed to stick. And students listen to it, just hear it once, and you don't need to ever remind them of it. It never goes away. Just semak, they immediately get it. But whereas, you know, other words like the words for bread or for cheese or for tomatoes, no, they don't even a word that that sort of uh, shares a root with or shares a history with, with a 
uh, um, European uh, or the European language. Uh, that's uh, and it fascinated me for a long time. I still don't know why. Um, huh. Is it sound? Is it the concept? Is something yeah. about the um, the other word I always have fun with, and I think my students have fun with, is when we teach the word to drink in Arabic, it's, uh, the root is sharib, uh, sharaba. And so I, I get this, I ask the students, um, there are at least three words in English that actually are related to this root in Arabic. And then I divide them into groups and they start thinking and discussing. And then one of them says, oh, syrup. <laughs> uh, ah. So it, uh, it it conveys a bunch of, of messages at the same time. One is the uh, I'm 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 a linguist by training, so I love things that that do that do with language. So the sound change from from s to sha, for example, or transition mm. from sha to sa, or the the fact that Arabic doesn't have a p sound, um, and the ba at the end of a word can be devoiced becomes sh- uh, syrup. Uh, from Sharab. And then the other word is uh, sorbet. And then the other, the third word is sherbet. And so mm-hmm. by the five, ten minutes, they have figured out the three words. So they learn a lot about the, the way languages actually can borrow from each other mm-hmm. and sounds can change. It's a, it's a very nice, nice lesson for, for the students. And I enjoy doing that. It's great. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I think one thing with French that I found is always weird and funny at the same time is that Americans use tons of French words completely randomly and French expressions that they've learned in songs or things like that. So there's always the, oh, uh, c'est la vie ou uh, oh la la. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always so weird because they always use it in a way that a French person would never do, you know? <laughs> And then another one that is almost better is probably voulez-vous coucher avec moi? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's uh. the, the words that everybody knows, you know, and I thought it's, it's hilarious, you know. Uh, but personally, like, uh, so one of the language I learned at school was German, and my favorite mm-hmm. word in German is wunderbar. Uh. <laughs> because it's, it sounds so powerful and joyful in German. Mm-hmm. I just love it. So that's that's my favorite word in a foreign language. Nice. <laughs> Naomi, what about you? Um, so my favorite word, or actually the word uh, really, really used in this time of the uh, crisis is gambaro, which means hang in there or you can do it. And then uh, when you uh, see Japanese person or in Japan or everywhere, people would say, gambaro which means hang in there, we can do it, let's do it together. So that will be the word that I will give everybody. Fantastic. I like it. What a great note to end this episode on. Gambaro. I think there we have it. Well, thanks to all of you for speaking of language with us today, Monther, Claire, and Naomi. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Tune in again next week when our special focus on language teaching and learning strategies in a virtual space continues. Until then, auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. 
Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.